Hello, it's September 18 and this is On The Campaign, a daily podcast wrapping all the big stories from the election 2023 campaign trail. I'm Georgina Campbell and I'll be your host for this episode. Later, we'll be recapping the events from the campaign trail today. But first, let's take a look at what happened over the weekend. The big story was the ACT Party's campaign launch in Auckland yesterday. David Seymour took to the stage at Auckland's iconic Civic Theatre for what should have been the party's time to shine. Instead, the event got hijacked when Freedom's NZ candidate Carl Mokoraka started protesting just minutes into Seymour's speech. Mokoraka is a recidivist political protester. He hijacked Christopher Luxon's stand-up in East Auckland the other week. But this was perhaps his biggest stunt yet, and it definitely put a dampener on ACT's big party. For more on this and the rest of the weekend's news, I caught up with New Zealand Herald political reporter Adam Pearce and started by asking him about the moment this protest went down. Yeah, it was quite surreal, really. Uh, it's not something you usually expect at these political events, although we are seeing more and more uh, of these kind of disruptions. But uh, yeah, no, it was very, um, very surprising. Carl just stood up in the middle of the middle of the civic theatre and started uh, yelling and shouting uh, various things uh, at David Seymour, who had been speaking for a couple of minutes uh, after being unveiled on the stage. And he was soon met with quite a few boos from the ACT Party supporters, which is uh, not surprising. They didn't appreciate his uh, presence at their campaign launch. And so how long did this go on for? You know, how long did it take for David Seymour to regain control of the room? Well, it seemed it was one of those things that it seemed to go on forever and also just was done in the blink of an eye. And I suppose that's, I suppose, the drama of, of a situation like that. Uh, he did, uh, Carl Mukaraka did stick to his guns and stood there and resisted uh, attempts by people sitting around him to uh, extricate uh, him from the theatre, uh, to move him away and trying to shut him down. Uh, so he stood there for a good, I'd say, maybe five, seven minutes, maybe perhaps closer to five minutes, talking about how uh, uh, David Seymour needed to remember South Auckland. Obviously, Mokoraka is the uh, uh, Visions uh, or Freedoms candidate for uh, Panmure Otahu and uh, obviously is a very um, uh, very fervent uh, supporter and advocate for that community. And that was the main thrust of, of his comms towards David Seymour. And Carl used a disguise, is that right? Well, yeah, it was something uh, that I didn't quite pick up in uh, in the drama of it all as it was happening. But I, I do uh, did think about it afterwards and remembered that when he popped up uh, over the fence talking to Luxon recently, uh, he was fairly clean shaven. And then seeing him uh, standing in the middle of the Civic Theatre, he had this great big moustache gone. So, I mean, either it was a really impressive growth or, uh, in fact, it was a disguise. And I think other media have reported that it was indeed uh, a disguise. So um, clearly one that was effective. He was able to get in, uh, get in the Civic Theatre def- uh, despite the uh, security efforts that ACT put on the door, checking people's bags and checking people's names, according to those who had uh, who had registered. So clearly paid off for him. The thing that probably alarms me the most is that there were reports of violence between supporters and the media. Did you witness any of that or, or can you tell us what happened? Yeah, I was pretty much in the in the thick of it there. Uh, making our way down in front of the seating area, uh, watching and obviously documenting what uh, Carl was saying and doing. And uh, supporters or ex-supporters around him, uh, or a lot of them had signs and were blocking 
uh, our uh, ability to take photos and to get videos. It was obviously multiple camera uh, operators there from from the TV networks. And yeah, it was one of those environments where when something like that happens, when a, a protester comes up uh, or a, a disruption occurs, I think everyone just feeds on that energy. People lose decorum, public decorum, right? And they uh, suddenly the bar for what is acceptable um, doesn't really exist anymore. And so, yeah, what we saw was that uh, one uh, one act supporter who was holding a sign uh, decided to just bop one of the camera operators on the head. I mean, these these signs aren't uh, aren't very solid, so it's not uh, not a big thing. But there was an incident that has been reported that uh, a camera operator was struck in the face, and it's a really telling example of just how these events can get out of hand so quickly. I mean, it was within within minutes uh, of Carl speaking that the atmosphere and the tension uh, continued to rise, and it. Evidently got out of hand, and I mean there was one interaction with another journalist who um, uh, one of the supporters was blocking his camera. When told that media have got to do their jobs, journalists have got to cover these things, he just said that I don't care, you know. And I think that shows that some people a don't understand what the media does, and b when it gets into that kind of environment where there is a bit of drama, uh, normal code of conduct just goes out the window. And what did uh, David Seymour focus on when he did have the chance to speak? I think he apologised for starters. Yes, he did. In a uh, press conference after his speech, he ended up saying, uh, apologising for what had happened. Uh, he didn't take responsibility for those actions. It's, it's important to point out. I mean, obviously, the ACT Party, as many people will know, uh, are big on personal responsibility. So uh, he didn't go as far as to say that he was he was responsible for what had happened. Obviously, he was sorry that uh, some you know the, the media had been obstructive and that there had been that report of someone being struck in the face. In his speech, once he was able to kind of regain control, and there were a few other hecklers after Carl. They were more minor, but once he did get uh, more control there, he uh, continued on his chat about co-governance in particular. That was a main theme, and and was within some of his uh, communications with the media, uh, talking about the uh, party's priorities there. He also uh, asked the audience to think of uh, a child being born in New Zealand, things that we don't know about them, you know, who who they're going to be, what their likes are, that kind of thing, but what we want to provide for them in terms of uh, education and safety. And and it, it all came together in his pitch for what ACT Party wants New Zealand to be. Uh, and it obviously went down well with their supporters, uh, all very happy. Uh, we're big on the co-governance aspect, uh, as you know, with the push for a, a treaty referendum. Uh, there was a lot of sympathy for that uh, that policy in particular. How damaging do you think this could be for X campaign to have their launch disrupted like this? I mean, I guess they're they're not the only party that's faced disruption during an event like this. Exactly. And I think that probably uh, tells you, uh, well, that probably answers the question, really. I mean, we've had other parties, both national, have been disrupted by this uh, this guy himself. And obviously, Labour, their campaign launch was disrupted as well by several protesters. So I don't think it's going to have too much of a damaging effect. In fact, when Carl started, uh, Seymour said he'd been waiting for however many years for protesters to come to his party events and claimed that it showed that now that they were getting protesters, that they were, uh, you know, uh, had the ability to influence where New Zealand was going. So uh, there was a bit of that. I think it will just get them more attention and I think it will keep them them in the public conversation. And just looking at, you know, the the weekend as a whole and and the other parties in in terms of the campaign trail, what are the big takeaways over the weekend? Were, Were there any standout policy announcements or moments that caught your eye? I think things have been uh, fairly consistent over the last few days, uh, particularly with Labour. I was with uh, Hipkins 
in Auckland on Saturday, and he is continuing his assault on uh, National for not releasing uh, its uh, costings and its uh, information that informed uh, its tax plan. Uh, so that was um, th- that's been something that he's been banging on about for a number of days now. I think he's got it up to about nineteen. I, I imagine he will be saying that it's what eighteen, nineteen days uh, since National have released their tax plan and haven't released those costings that have informed it. Um, that was uh, that's a pretty regular message for him. Uh, the Greens uh, had their announcement about uh, five weeks of leave, increasing that from four of annual leave, I should say. Uh, it was interesting to hear uh, Chris Hipkins' response to that. Uh, he said it wasn't something that could be feasible at this stage, uh, given the economic climate and the pressure that it would put on small businesses currently, you know, obviously dealing with the cost of uh, high cost of living, as, as everyone is currently. Uh, so it was interesting to see, you know, that difference again, similar with the wealth tax, how the Greens are going for these more aspirational policies and Labor keeps shooting them down. And it does pose, you know, pose that question uh why are we voting? Why are the Greens campaigning on policies that their uh, main coalition partner, potential coalition partner, of course, uh, would not support? You know, Chris Hipkins has obviously ruled out uh, putting in a wealth tax under his leadership and has indicated pretty clearly that he doesn't doesn't think uh, adding another week, week to annual leave is a good idea. So um, it, uh, it does show the difference between those uh, those two left wing parties. Mm. And what about looking ahead to this week? Um, are there any events that we need to keep an eye on? You know, what do you expect the the big talking points to be? Oh, it's got to be the leaders' debate uh, between Chris Hipkins and uh, Christopher Luxon on Tuesday night. I mean, that's going to be a, a huge, uh, huge moment in the political campaign. We had uh, Luxon today. Uh, increasing his uh, complimentary language about uh, Chris Hipkins' debating ability, uh, saying that he wasn't just one of the best debaters in the country. He could, in fact, be one of the best debaters in the world, which is frankly uh, frankly <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, and just a whole lot of spin from Luxon wanting to uh, decrease expectations of his performance going into that first leaders' debate. Uh, on TVNZ on Tuesday night. Commentators have called it one of the biggest, uh, it could be a tipping point, right? It could be a, 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 an instance where uh, Hipkins can claim back the narrative and maybe see uh, see a bit of a, a change in the polls in his favour. Uh, I'm less convinced of that. I think there are so many, uh, so many more important uh, things, such as the cost of living, that are impacting people's lives that I, I struggle to see how one debate could shift the dial uh, to the extent that Labour need it to. However, it will be a really good example to see uh, Luxon and, H- and Hipkins going head to head in a way that we don't often see them, even in Parliament. You know, it's not as it's not the same format. This is going to be over a longer period of time. They're going to be needled uh, by the host, and there's going to they're going to face some tricky questions that they're not uh, that they haven't planned for. So I think it's going to be a really telling example. Also, we've got a small parties debate later on in the week. Uh, again, another opportunity to see those uh, smaller parties face off against each other uh, and uh, potentially cause some more some more fireworks, maybe some protesters. Who knows? You wouldn't rule it out at this stage, would you? Thanks to Adam for his insights. We'll just take a quick break and then be back to wrap up Monday's campaign events. Welcome back to On The Campaign. 
Well, Labor has kick-started the week with a policy announcement around solar panels. The party is promising a $4,000 credit to households that install these panels should the party get back into government. The policy will cost $218 million and is expected to add 60,000 installations over four years. Labor has also pledged to install 1,000 Kainga homes with solar panels at a cost of $18 million a year. The policy is similar to one that the Green Party announced earlier in the campaign. Labor also announced a women's manifesto on Sunday, with policies focused around raising the age for breast cancer screenings. However, this was a repackage of previously announced policies. In a statement, National's campaign chair Chris Bishop said this was a policy the party announced as far back as 2016, when Jacinda Ardern talked it up in an interview with the Australian Women's Weekly. For National, there were no policy announcements today, but the party did have to contend with resurfaced comments from their Hamilton East candidate. The electorate is a swing seat, having bounced between Labor and National since its inception. But National's Ryan Hamilton is favoured to take back the seat for his party this election. This morning, though, RNZ revealed that Hamilton, a current Hamilton City Councillor, has been publicly opposed to the fluoridation of water for two decades, regularly criticising the process on social media. In one post, he said fluoride wasn't needed for those living in poverty because, and I quote, most lower socioeconomics fill their tap water with raro. Hamilton also opposed the COVID vaccine mandates. Both of these views have gone against National Party policies. While Hamilton declined to be interviewed, with some associates telling RNZ he was overseas, despite being in the middle of an election campaign, National Leader Christopher Luxon responded this morning. His comments are wrong, they're inappropriate, he has apologised for them. Our position on fluoride is really well understood and he understands and is in that position. He gave no indication that Hamilton would be removed as a result. Asked if the candidate should be removed, Labour's Chris Hipkins said that was up to his opponent to decide. Uh, But he certainly set very high standards for others. Um, He really needs to live up to his own standards. What do you mean by that? What standards has he set? Well, if you look at the criticisms that he's made of other parties and other candidates, um, it's now a question for him as to whether he's going to adhere to those himself. That's a reference to comments National made in August, highlighting that Labour MP Deborah Russell had criticised removing GST from fruit and vegetables back in 2016 prior to entering Parliament. New Zealand First has had a similar concern on its hands, with Kirsten Murphitt being confirmed on the party's list over the weekend in the 11th spot. Earlier this year, staff reported that Murphitt was a notable conspiracy theorist, matching her to a Telegram account known as Polly that had shared extreme views around the COVID-19 vaccine and the New World Order. New Zealand First would, however, need to get to the 8% threshold for Murphitt to make it into Parliament. Higher up on the list is former Wellington Mayor Andy Foster, who, at seventh place, is a little closer to a return to politics. The main leaders today were also asked about the ACT Party protest we discussed earlier on, with the strongest words coming from Chris Hipkins. You know, I would encourage the Destiny Church in particular, who seem to be behind a lot of this, Um, to actually get out of the way of democracy um, and allow the democratic process to take its course.
Destiny Church's Brian Tamaki is the leader of Freedom's New Zealand Umbrella Party, of which Carl Mokoraka's Vision NZ is a part of. Interestingly, Makoraka is only 23rd on the party's list. And following on from what Adam said earlier about the policy clashes between Labour and the Greens, New Zealand Herald senior political correspondent Audrey Young has written today about the tensions between National and ACT. You can check out New Zealand Herald Premium for the other side of the argument. Tomorrow, both Chris Hipkins and Christopher Luxon will be in Auckland campaigning ahead of the first televised leaders' debate on TVNZ1 at 7pm. You'll recall last week that Luxon called Hipkins the best debater in the country while he had very little experience. However, thanks to Labour's Deborah Russell, we learned that Luxon actually won the debating trophy at Christchurch Boys High School – something Luxon played down earlier today. Did some debates in high school, three, three or four, I think. Yeah, back in 1988, but I wouldn't say that counts. You know, we're up against a very good debater. I mean, Chris Hipkins, champion university debater, best debater in Parliament. Hipkins says he's not focusing on it too much at this stage. You'll get to watch the debate alongside every other New Zealander. Um, I, as I said, I haven't spent a huge amount of time preparing for the debate, but I certainly will be uh, focusing my mind on that over the next 24 hours as we head into the debate tomorrow night. You've got 24 hours to clear your calendars for the two-hour showdown, as this may well be the one to watch. In the meantime, this has been On The Campaign. You can follow this podcast on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. For more election 2023 coverage, head to nzherald.co.nz. I'm Georgina Campbell and we'll catch you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.